0: Hello, heroes, and welcome to another informative episode of Critical Success. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. This week, I'm speaking to Matt Sanchez and Andy Katowski of Kotama Heavy. They're responsible for the Japanese-to-English translation of some fantastic role-playing games like Ryutama, Tenra Bancho Zero, and, of course, Shinobi Gami. You've probably already listened to our Shinobi Gami episodes on One Shot, but if you haven't, we ran an actual play series of Kotama Heavy's newest product, the ninja battle game Shinobi Gami. Today, I sit down with Matt and Andy to talk about the history of game design in Japan and their experience translating Japanese games into English. We've got a packed episode, so let's get right to it. all right heroes let's meet our guests for this week we have with us the people behind shinobi gami and that is andy kowalski and matthew sanchez guys welcome to critical success
1: hey thanks very much
2: hey good to be here
0: before we get started on talking about your project i want to get to know you guys and have our audience know you a little bit so my first question to both of you is
1: how long have you been gaming and you want to take this one first Sure. Wow. Uh, for a long time, since probably like fifth grade of elementary school or so. Wow. Um, I started with, uh, me and my dad, uh, saw some commercials, like commercials for, for TSR's Star Frontiers. And since we were both big into SF, uh, we were like, Oh, we gotta get that. We got it, had no idea what we were doing. Uh, but like over the period of a few weeks and months, we figured it out. And that was basically my descent into the madness of gaming. <laughs> uh, after, after, uh, Star Frontiers, I got into, um, Paranoia and some other games and then from there it just hit all sorts of weird angles. I didn't actually get into like D&D and or Advanced Dungeons and Dragons till much later. I think AD&D second edition is the game I played the most. After college and a little bit of hiatus, I got back and and I was really super interested in unique rpgs or, or rpgs that had something just a little bit different than stats and skills right uh it didn't have to be like completely hippie ass you know like we hug each other for resolution mechanics and stuff like that but it could be adventures but like maybe some extra cool rules to to tell it you know to, to to craft a story in the background
0: i personally think uh, the hug based resolution mechanic is really <laughs> overlooked
1: yeah, yeah, underrated. Yeah, yeah. The games that did it have, have moderate success, but one, one of the days we'll, we'll get an Amazon top seller. <laughs> yeah. And so after that, I was involved with the Forge and other, uh, kind of independent publishing groups, but also, um, small press and, and, and sort of that small feel and, and I guess a weirdness factor on high. Right. Uh, you know, small publishers and designers. Uh, and then I just started doing things from there. I, I created some communities and stuff like that. But, uh, but now I'm kind of focused on playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't. I don't go more than a week or two without playing. And, wow, that's uh, good. And also uh, translating with Matt here and, and uh, translate uh, Japanese games and release them to English. Speaking of Matt, uh, Matt, how long have you been playing?
2: Um, let's see. Uh, tabletop gaming, maybe about ten years. Although, like, I think since I can remember, I've been playing video games. <laughs> um, like, I, I remember destroying my very first console. It was like an Atari that my dad had put in our room. And I had like crumpled up mud balls or something into it and, uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why I did that, but yeah. Um, Because
1: you played ET, that's why.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like literally from, you know, from my earliest memories, I was playing video games. Um, and then I guess about 10 years ago or so, um, I'd started playing some board games like Arkham Horror and, um, and then a friend of mine, and I, for Christmas, we usually just got each other some some weird nerdy gifts, and so um, we are both into strategy um, video games, like the Super Robot Wars games and, and whatnot. And so I I saw that the D and D miniatures game uh, was like you know like a, a square based strategy tactics game. So uh, we both bought into that, and then for some reason I thought, hey, this would be even better if like these minis all had stories that they did. <laughs> That'd be like a really a really cool game. And so, uh. Um, you're
0: very, yeah. you're not unlike Dave Arneson in that respect. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> Dave Arneson, 1968, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so then I got into D&D and I, I thought, this is cool, but let's see what else is out there. And then that was right about the time that I'd moved to Japan. I saw, I thought, well, let's see what Japan has. And then I saw Ryutama, it blew my mind. And then I just got really hard into uh, Japanese RPGs.
0: Okay, this is something that I really, really want to talk about. It's a prospect that I find so exciting. The reason that we're talking to both of you guys today is you have a Kickstarter up right now for a game called Shinobi Gami, uh, which is a game that you guys are translating from its original Japanese. Before we dig into Shinobi Gami and what it is, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Japanese game design history, um, because there is a little bit of a crossover between U.S. and Japanese. Japanese gaming interests with video games. We've been trading ideas and uh, tropes back and forth for, for years, years and years, but role-playing and the way that we have influenced Japan and they've influenced us is a little bit hazier in my book. I have seen on Tumblr before those sheets from the first trans the, like, I think it was first edition translated into Japanese. It might've been second edition where the art And the idea and the feel of what D&D is, is radically different from the Japanese perspective, receiving basically the same document that we had in the United States. It's just they ported it over into their own sensibilities. So... Where where does Japanese role playing game where do they start at least in the
1: tabletop sense? You mean like the history of them in general?
0: Yeah, I want to know is D and D still Japan's first role playing system uh, that they're big into, oh, okay, or yeah. did one of one of the people who's influenced by D and D take over that market?
1: So to take a look at that, what's kind of cool to note is something called a uh, basically information lag or translation lag. Until very recently, and especially with anime and manga and stuff like that uh although it is affected in books. Uh it takes several years for a piece of literature to get influential enough that it would warrant someone to pick it up and want to translate and bring it over. Right. Uh in the days before the internet the word didn't get around much. So it would just be like one Japanese person studying in London hears about this Lord of the Rings thing, like, you know, (laughs) five years after the fact. Uh and then they get some friends together and they read it and they think it's mind blowing. They're like, this is awesome. So they, you know, they read it themselves and then get the word back by letters long story short lord of the rings didn't come over to japan for about 10 to 15 years wow after it was released in english same thing with other media it was about 10 or 15 years what's it called uh, starship troopers mm-hmm. starship troopers blew everyone's minds in japan and it came out it was translated what 10 to 20 years after the book came out right two years before gundam Wow, wow. yeah. yeah. That, I mean, with
0: that translation lag, like you can see that influence across a lot of Japanese media and the things that they pick up on and mm-hmm. decide to explore. Like the magical girl tradition is fashioned after bewitched the sitcom, which came uh. over to Japan, like, almost, I think, in the 80s or 90s. Pro- probably and
1: 80s, yeah. decade later, yeah.
0: Everybody in Japan went nuts for it. They thought it was a great thing, yeah. uh, and <laughs> they appreciated it for a completely different reason. So they got into mm-hmm. this whole cute witch thing and developed an entire genre based around that one sitcom that uh, nice. was just a hit. So it's it's yeah, really yeah. funny to see how that different influence informs a different design tradition.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, uh, Starship Troopers created Japanese mecha anime. Cut to late seventies, D and D's out, really popular, super popular in the U.S. Uh, it wasn't until the very mid or latter eighties, okay, that D and D finally get picked up and then finally got translated into Japanese and released in Japanese. Uh, or, you know, basic D and D being the first. I think the year was, like, around somewhere between 85 and 86. Shortly after that, the idea behind it was so mind-blowing that Tunnels and Trolls soon followed after, and then uh, the first Japanese-born, well, role-playing game in general, fantasy role-playing game, uh, Sword World, came out just a, a little bit later. However, it was an unfortunate coincidence of that time lag. We had about eight years for D&D to take root, like, in its Advanced Dungeons Dragons format that mm-hmm. went, you know, hog-wild in its you know solid form before Nintendo came along. Right? <laughs> there, was, there was there was Atari and Atari was cute, but Atari was not like an addictive replacement. You know, there's only right. so much you can you can shoot squares. But uh then you know so DND had time to root to ferment to really sink into minds for 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 like a decade or more before Nintendo and Super Mario came out. Well, in Japan, they came out right around the same time in fact Nintendo came out right before like real the the RPG onslaught began. So it was sort of the, for that reason Japan in Japan and, and other countries in Asia, D and D just never really like when when you say the word RPG, that mm-hmm. word RPG is immediately understood by anyone in Japan. Mm-hmm. It means a console rpg like you know final fantasy or dragon quest right uh, because just it was just the the numbers you know, right the years didn't line up right around like like mid to late 80s that's when japan's games came out and then maybe a few years later like very late 80s and early 90s uh, original japanese rpgs uh started coming out uh, again with the aforementioned sword world which was a very simple uh standard fantasy game using a just only d sixes because mm-hmm. that's all that there was easy to grab in Japan' cause, right. uh hey, you, know, you have to play with all these weird dice that you really can't import from anywhere <laughs> right uh, uh, and and tunnels and trolls got got a little bit of success here because the d sixes were available mm-hmm. uh, so that's sort of like the the very raw early history uh and, and r- I, I should say around the same you know just just a f- five to ten years earlier, uh the Lord of the Rings stuff. <laughs> was picked up in media. So it was, you know, people who liked the of Rings, they were kind of hanging out there, and it was just some 10 to 15 years later that this RPG thing came along to kind of support that. But again, though, it, it's an unfortunate coincidence that, that it happened to come out after video games became popular <laughs> through Nintendo. In fact, Nintendo, you know, you can see through Dragon Quest, it obviously pulled a lot. Like, they were extremely innovative in their early development with Nintendo and stuff like that, <coughs> how they... They had they pitted teams of developers against each other. Uh, Nintendo Corp would have three teams propose an idea, and then they would like put they would push it through and develop it near to completion. Then they had a bake off, and then whoever won the bake off that would get published. The other two would get scrapped. Wow! Uh, so they had to constantly do innovation. The first Dragon Quest did things like the fact that they just straight up pulled HP and other concepts from levels, you know, classes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was directly from tabletop. Gaming. They saw. Well, we need to go look overseas. What's popular over there? Uh, maybe we could, there's something we could steal or pull, or you know, there might be something of interest over here. There's this thing called role playing games. Here, there's a few has been translated. These are kind of cool. Let's start pulling these in. What would it look like on Nintendo? One thing led to another, and we have Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, etc.
0: And it's so interesting. If you look at something like Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy, it's like looking into a carnival mirror version of what we're doing in D&D. The random encounters, the crazy monsters, the heroes in the uh, sort of mythic tradition. It's all there. It's just a different version of what's there. I, I find It's hard to imagine sitting down to play a tabletop version of a final fantasy or a dragon quest game because they're so radically different and even though they are role-playing games they're not
1: Mm -hmm. now one interesting thing is uh, i know i noticed this and this there might be a little bit of this going on too uh remember those days too you know when nintendo was out atari was out there was a couple years before super nintendo where games started getting a little bit more what's word uh addictive Mm -hmm. um more comprehensive, more addictive, more you putting yourself into the game for hours and hours and hours. I had recently played some Star Frontiers, uh, and you know, uh, again, this is the game I cut my teeth on and, and loved in the 80s, uh, and then I looked at some of these scenarios and looked at the battles they had, and pl- like, there's a, a, a very famous battle set for Star Frontiers that has all these armies and stuff like that, and I was looking at this going like, holy crap, this is like just straight up 10 hours of rolling... You know, and and you know, get, getting your friends over for like a weekend and doing nothing for two days other than just play with these little cardboard shits on a map and roll dice, roll dice, roll dice. Uh, it wasn't like you know, you roll to attack, okay, roll to evade, roll to damage, okay. Well, you roll two d10 for damage, and the hull has like a hundred hit points. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're dealing with hundreds of ships. Oh my exactly. god! Yeah. So I I'm love like. It and we remember like this was the shit back then this was this was awesome back in you know the 80s now that we just like i guess just universally just have like less time or is it just more better things to do with our time or just console games have improved the situation that that they don't have that all that wasted space and just like hey why don't we just have a few hits and you blow up or something like that that just that is like mind-numbing Right. And, and kind of looking back at that, like Dragon Quest, I mean, if you were to take the Dragon Quest experience and sit at the table and do it, it would just be like constant random roles and slogging and stuff like that. Uh, but I think, you know, back to the early games that I used to play, there was some role playing limited, but it wasn't really as much as I did like in the 90s. And so it, like, you know, in grade school and stuff like that, I watched people play D&D and it would just be like problem solving, monster slaying and just going through like and, and the GM just coming, coming up with like these random roles for monsters to appear and slaying them and stuff like that. I think, you know, if that experience was, was a console game that could have been wrapped up in one hour by playing with yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But luckily, at least for the our tabletop RPG industry, we can't do that yet. Though, <laughs> though <laughs> I suspect one day that is not going to be too far off. Let's talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing specifically. Uh, Matt and mm-hmm. Andy... Translate games from Japanese. There are some great Japanese games that you have worked
1: on. I believe you guys did Tenra, right? And that yeah, was that all, was yeah yeah that, that was me. That was before I met Matt. Okay, uh, and this was part of like Operation Find Someone Like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you yeah, know it, this is before i found uh, anyone like matt so anyone who would take a project on like by by themselves to do something like tenra was was completely insane and had too much time on their hands yeah right slowly raises hands right um <laughs> so yeah that took me a long time i think the conservative estimate is about 7 years from the time i said wow i would start doing it to finally finishing it uh however a lot of that was because i aimed for perfection in, in a lot of ways uh perfect I the, is the like, enemy of done yeah Exactly. I did that, that triangle, you know, the, the time perfection and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I sacrificed time or cost, I guess is the other thing. You right. Know, I could have, I could have spent money to hire super high end translators. And actually I did for, for some top periods, I actually had, um, a bunch of, uh, friends or, or acquaintances, uh, that I trusted to do small sections. Like they didn't have time to help with big sections, but they, they were able to, to kind of contribute small sections. And then afterwards I came up, uh, saw what they wrote Took it into advice and then kind of rewrote the whole section anyway. <laughs> uh, but indeed, um, Tenra was a was a beast for many reasons. A, a lot of it being just because it was so Japanese. Tenra is a Japanese RPG. It was a Japanese original. It takes place in a setting that is a pure riff on Japanese fantasy from the um, uh, the Middle Ages of Japan with magic and technology. That again. Is Japanese um, right? It's basically like a big sandwich of of you know Japanese lettuce, Japanese ham on Japanese bread. Uh, <laughs> it, it it couldn't get more Japanese than that. And you know, almost had to wash my brain out after it was done. But it was it was about as Japanese and unique as it could get. So I, I wanted to. I like the setting and the rules were kick ass. So I just gave my hand at that. And and uh, after many years. Uh, I had something that was workable, and then I put together Kickstarter to get the money together to fund it, and, and it kind of blew my expectations—how uh, many people were actually interested in it? I figured maybe, oh, you know, maybe a few hundred other people, fifty of which are, are my friends mm-hmm. would be interested in it. And one thing led to another, and I had like you know over a thousand help me out by the uh, by the end of the project.
0: Well, it's what's fascinating about games like Tenra are they've been baking in this different design tradition for decades with only influence from us. They haven't been Able to communicate back to us, really, Mm -hmm. except through translated projects like Tenra. So when it Mm -hmm. comes back, it's completely weird. I mean, Tenra is this hybrid magical technology game that uses body horror very casually.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The other interesting project is that um, it it was rich and filled with art, full color art, black and white art, and stuff like that. 90% of that art is done by the person who wrote the setting. Like, Holy crap. The, the, the writer of the game, uh, and most of the, or I guess the idea of the rules, they, they had a rules writer, but he, they were basically like working in tandem in the same room. But the setting, all the setting conceits and stuff like that were written by the illustrator, right? The, the author, uh, uh, Inoue. Wow. So there was a, a rich vision, I guess, uh, that, that came with the game. It wasn't just like ten guys all doing their initial their their little parts in, in each little corner. It was one guy's artistic vision. He just threw out all these pictures mm-hmm. and everyone was like, This is awesome. Let's make a game out of it. And then they <laughs> worked together and made made it into a game. Uh, so, so yeah, there was that was that was definitely it. And you're right, the the process of, of translation, stuff like that was pretty much one way. They got D D. They got Shadowrun. They got World of Darkness. They got, you know, uh, cyberpunk. They got uh, Earthdawn. Um, they got Torg. Mm-hmm. But it was a one-way street. There wasn't anything from Japan going back to the U.S. Um, I would actually say that maybe there's a, a reason for that. Maybe until the 90s, there really wasn't anything that was unique enough to come this way. Right, right. Um, uh, they had Sword World, which was just another version of, of d d it wasn't until the 90s that the company behind Tenra had some earlier works that really pushed the envelope. Uh, both me and Matt have, have played them and, and have interest in them. And yeah, that, so that's, that's, that's sort of the, the story behind uh, Tenra.
0: I mean, that, and that's fascinating. Uh, the, one thing that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering right now, uh, how did you make this happen? How did you go about contacting the folks at Tenra about translating it?
1: I guess it was kind of inspired because um, I was just a guy doing a full-time job uh working it Mm -hmm. and and i still do by the way i just have much 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 more responsibilities and and less time now but uh, (laughs) i pretty much do the same thing but uh yeah so at the time i was interested and i had translated some of the rules by hand and and things like that just to understand them uh matt's done that a lot too for for lots of the games that that we're working on now and at one point i just kind of said you know what i'm kind of interested in taking this next level and i I would post pictures and stuff like that like hey here's some scans from the book this is awesome uh to folks on rpgnet Mm -hmm. and sometimes i would get contacted in private hey andy i'm interested in forming an rpg company where i'm the ceo hey tell (laughs) you what i'd like to make this our flagship product i'll give you two (laughs) hundred dollars if you would if you would do all the work i would publish it through my company like i had that offer like like eight times or something like that. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, this is ridiculous. Uh, I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I'll just stick to my, yeah, nicely paid IT job. Um, but finally, one person came along. And 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 so the funny thing was, uh, it eventually... Uh, we formed a team. My friend Ken Peters, and he, he actually was came, came along. He's like, "Hey, I'm single. I'm in the army. I've got lots of cash, and I like to spend lots of cash to make this happen." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, one thing went through, after a while, he actually went on and, and and went to school and went and went on to graduate studies and stuff like that. Uh, so the the pile of money was to dry up, mm-hmm. but in that time, crowdfunding became a thing. So. It was a natural transition to that thing anyway, but, uh, but it was someone who came along and said, look, I've got money and I'm, I'd be willing to completely fund this out of pocket Wow. to get me to go, you know what? I would almost do that too. And this is a project that's worth it. So that's what kind of got me off my ass and, uh, got me to send a couple emails to fear. That's the name of the company, far East amusement research, F E A R. Um, <laughs> so I sent a couple of emails, but, uh, in Japan, they kind of respond poorly to, well, not uh, they'll oh, I got to get back to this at some point. Uh, I wrote in Japanese too. Uh, mm-hmm. and I even had a friend correct um, my business Japanese. And they said, oh, I, I didn't get a response for a couple weeks, months. And I said, okay, maybe it's dead. But you know what? I'll give him a call out of the blue and just see. And I, I called them. And they're like, oh yeah, we got your emails. We're so sorry. We're so busy. A very common thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> things happen in Japan often by phone calls. Uh, emails are good for uh, uh, proof of what you said. But to actually get business moving, uh, phone calls, in-person visits, and stuff like that is how things go. And so after I made that phone call, that's when things really took off. Wow. Uh, and it was just a simple phone call. And they didn't... Uh, I mean, at the time, I didn't publish anything, but I did have some work that appeared in other games. Uh, I had connections. Uh, I had... Also had met some of the people in the Japanese industry that I kind of name dropped to show them, hey, look, I met these people. I understand what the scene is like over there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so that sort of kicked things off and, you know, eventually that led to other projects as well. I worked on Made with uh, Aaron Clooney. Aaron mm-hmm. did all the work for that. I'm not even taking a, a scrap of work for that <laughs> except for just a few tables, uh, some editing and and helping get that published. But we, you know, I I forget exactly which one of us contacted them, but I think we ended up having to do phone calls uh, there as well. And I think Ryutama uh, with Matt was the first one where we we just did emails and that that was like the initial a uh, project kickoff was, was emails. Eventually Matt went and met the author face to face. Oh wow. Uh, for To, to push things along. But, uh, but until that point it was, it was uh, emails. So, and, but he's much younger than the other generation as well. Uh, Okada from Yutama being about, you know, some somewhere in the early mid thirties uh and the others being in their forties uh, and fifties. Wow. Uh, so how,
0: how large are these companies uh like fear uh that you're dealing with?
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, things change over the years, so p- companies get bigger and smaller. Fear is mm-hmm. one of the biggest, uh, and they have about a, st- like a regular staff of about five uh, full-time writers. Okay. Uh, and then, and they all work out of an apartment that's redesigned as a, as an office.
0: Oh, that's and,
1: actually uh, really cool. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and, and then they basically like some are full time and then the rest are uh, sort of contractual part-time and they seem to do right. They, they, see, I see the same names popping up over and over again and people seem to be able to make a living and feed their families. So uh, whatever they're doing seems to be okay for what, what they've got. I mean, that's,
0: yeah, the, that's yeah. uh, incredible coming from you know the country that has an enormous
1: <laughs> RPG industry. The but margins can, are not big, you know, like in RPGs or anime, even anime and manga and stuff like that. I mean, the manga Arthur and there is it might explode like one piece and make them millions and millions of dollars and have all sorts of figures and stuff everywhere. But but uh for every one of those, there's everyone is just kind of getting by by the skin of their teeth. Um But uh but yeah, fear is one group. S&E is another. Mm-hmm. And they have about five full-time staff and they're, they're in Kobe and they, they did a uh, uh, sword world 2.0 and some other uh, they kind of started focusing more on board games actually these days within rpgs right and wow. the people we're working with now for shinobi gami Boken are there's i guess the same about the same they're actually a very very savvy multimedia company they actually do everything from board games to uh, video game consulting uh, and again same thing about five staff seem to be paid all right and uh, and and they're making a living
0: Oh, that's that, that's interesting. Let's talk more about Shinobi Gami because okay. looking at Shinobi Gami kind of blew my mind. In that it looks like the most traditional, trady game that you can possibly imagine. the The character sheet has, uh, as I was saying earlier, somewhere close to thirty skills. And the approach of the mechanics appears to be very heavily influenced by you want to strategically pick which move and when you're doing it to try and psych out your opponents. On our first playthrough, because we played it on one shot, uh, it nobody at the table really had a time to get a handle on the strategy. But by the end of the game, it became clear that what move you're picking is a huge deal. Uh, despite that, the actual flow of the game and the way it worked at the table, uh, there's a lot of role-playing and in order to set up those mechanical moments, you are going through the necessary role-playing scenes in order to accomplish them. And by the end of the game, I could not call
1: it anything but a story game. It's, it's very interesting at first. I mean, it's so different. And this series, the the line of games it comes in, the cycle the of fiction, the dice fiction series, uh, where everything is written on one sheet in front of you, uh, and it's kind of set in stone, and there's so much uh, dice rolling, stuff like that. Uh, you, you start off kind of... F- everyone's experience with Shinobi B. is, I'm going to fumble through, and right around the first or second round, mm-hmm. uh, when everyone's gone once, and then you start noticing what your tasks are, what you want to do, right. and how to get there, that's when you start everything starts clicking together and you start basically starting to thinking like a ninja.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that, um, a lot of people that have really grown up playing mostly nothing, but like D and D, um, they have kind of a really hard time with this game. Um, cause like they'll, they'll start a scene and they'll be like, okay, well I want to look up, um, information about, about this company or whatever. Um and then I'll say okay well you don't have to roll um because you know that's not what you're trying to do in the scene <laughs> you know you're, what you're trying to do is you know th- this you know these three things are, are what you're trying to get after in, in in any particular scene so if you want information or if you want to do anything else then I'll just tell you you know that <laughs> it works you got it and mm-hmm. then like their mind is like but 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 I
1: want to roll dice right <laughs> how do I do my library use yeah. <laughs> Another uh, interesting thing I've found is also when people – another stumbling thing on, on Shinobi Gami that, that it takes a minute to get used to is uh, how you – as a player, you get to frame your scene. And so as you step it, as you create the background of what's going to happen and you put yourself there and you put another character there maybe, um, you get to define basically through the first initial sentences what the action you're going to take is going to look like. So, for example, I would have someone go like, oh, I want to find out that person's secret. I'm like, great. I'm like okay, we're gonna be in a park, and I'm gonna meet them, and I'm gonna talk to them, and and I'm gonna try to suss out their secret. I'm like, great. So they they you know start narrating the park, they start having a role playing interaction. I'm like, oh okay, this is a great place to hold, and let's have that die roll. Look down at their sheet, and they're like, ooh, what can I use? And they've got to show them a couple skills they can use, you know, like like uh, uh manipulation mm-hmm. or you know social stuff, right? and they they have none of that on their sheet like it's all like really far away or something right i can i can throw shuriken and i can do like death magic i'm like uh <laughs> Yeah, so you kind of framed it so you're going to use something manipulative and social here, but you have none of those skills. So maybe we can twist this. Uh, let's, let's, let's bake it for two minutes and go back over here and maybe use your death magic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing.
0: Could... Like We literally had that happen in our playthrough. One of the players used necromancy to suss out somebody's secret, and it was yeah. like... That's awesome. I, I love the way it treats those skills in that, like, that's really just the shape of what you're doing. The end result is going to be there no matter what, but you get to decide what it looks like. And sure, you could have this scene in a park where it's this subtle manipulation, or you could summon the soul of your dead lover and talk to them and get secrets from beyond the grave. That's awesome. I, like I The actual closest comparison uh, that I have for or the flow of shinobi gami and the way it
1: feels is fiasco it's yeah it's, that's a, yeah it's a comparison i often make to to jason yeah he, he, yeah he doesn't like that comparison.
0: <laughs> he doesn't like that comparison that's
1: crazy uh, it's, it, no, it's it's comical. It's it's more like uh, the the only at the onset the the thing that it has in common with fiasco is the is the fact that you have the just initial setup ready to go, and then you have scenes where you just kind of go like everyone gets one turn, then round one over, everyone gets one turn, round two over. You know, uh, though in Shonen it's usually three and not four, and instead of fiasco ending with uh, an epilogue. Uh, Shinobi ends in a giant ninja smackdown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, the structure indeed it, it is a little bit like Fiasco. If, if you're if you're trying to come if you're saying like what is one game where the play structure is kind of similar, a little bit like Fiasco in terms mm-hmm. of you do have scenes, you you set your scene, you go around in rounds. Everything else after that kind of falls apart. I like to say that to, to friends who will understand, I say it's kind of like Fiasco meets a German role playing game, or excuse me, German, German board game with what are those called uh like secret role games like coup or mm-hmm. yeah, like hidden uh, traitor mechanics yeah traitor mechanics or or yeah or um yeah or frenemy <laughs> mechanics like like uh you know Battlestar Galactica. well yeah so you're trying to figure out who's on your team and who's not on your team and and right. to uh, and then you know, coordinate attacks and 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 coordinate defenses and stuff like that. Oh, it,
0: it was it was interesting when I received my character in that game, which I'm not going to reveal, so that uh, people won't be spoiled if they want to listen to the episode of One Shot. I saw the shape of how I wanted the game to go immediately upon seeing my secret, and then like I started like, okay, my my whole goal right now is to find and create allies and. Almost everybody at the table had a secret that completely made it impossible to work with them and it was it was really really difficult for for me to drive at what i thought okay this is a simple story goal and if i was playing any other role-playing game right now i would be able to through force of will and charisma alone drive through at least this story point and you know Mm -hmm. it would it would shake out how it did shinobi gami gave Everybody a really strong motivation to pursue character goals. And you're absolutely right. Those first few rounds, nobody knew what to do. But by round like two,
1: everybody knew what their goal was and they knew Start how to making, get it. <laughs> exactly. Start making a beeline and then realize. Yeah, exactly. This person over there has that over there, and I got this over there. But I should probably use this skill over here because it's closer, and they wouldn't be able to defend it. And then, then I got the secret of this person over here. I don't know they're there. Yeah, immediately next thing you know, everyone's like starting thinking like a ninja. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. And and you only have like what two or three actions to do it in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, I uh, when I were approaching the giant ninja battle, I felt, oh my god, I didn't have enough time. I didn't look (laughs) up half of what I need to look up, and I got more information than anybody else at
1: that table. And that's (laughs) That's, sort of the German board game influence, yeah. Yeah, and that's Uh,
2: that's why those emotional bonds are so important, and and that's why they're they're so such an amazing part of the game once once you start getting those bonds then then you know your your tendrils start spreading everywhere and and then you start getting all the information that you need
1: yes your network of spies is uh yeah (laughs) starts to grow yeah
0: oh man i i felt so good like two out of three people were making moves to find information and i spent almost all my moves on emotional bonds and i'm like i came away pretty good from that (laughs) So Shinobi Gami is so interesting in how the combat plays out. And I want to talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. it is still very much in a story sense uh of how combat should play out. But there is a section where you are sort of strategizing with miniatures. It's just not grid based strategy. Is that a big part of design tradition over there? Just not using grids in a normal way? <laughs>
1: No, actually, the opposite, and Matt, you could probably speak to that you 've played a, a a wide variety of games
2: yeah, I mean they still use a lot of miniatures from from my experience uh, i know for, fourth edition was was really big over there. Um, a lot of my gamer friends had you know humongous stacks of of, of maps and books and stuff from fourth edition and um, and whatnot like the the fear books they they still use miniatures or or you know little little, um, you know, figures or, or markers or whatever that, that they use for like, you know, spatial distances and whatnot, maybe not necessarily maps or, or like grids, but, mm-hmm. uh, miniatures and, and whatnot are still, uh, used over there.
1: So sort of like the fifth edition, uh, you don't need them to play, but, but they do help you sort of get into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, very, you know, very strong tactical and movements based combat is, is pretty common over here. It's, the brilliance of this line of games that that Bocan the uh, uh, adventure planning service, the company that put out this series called uh, Dice Fiction, uh, where they took every single one of their their you know every single game in this line is not a uh, forty dollar you know uh, A four or paper sized eight by you know eight and a half by eleven book. It's, it's rather a handheld book that only costs about $15. Yeah. The and book
0: that you held up looks like a manga.
1: It is basically manga size. That um, is
0: amazing.
1: And, and, in that, um, and I'll actually have a video later on my website where I, where I break this down. Uh, but there is a uh, section there. Basically you can see the first two thirds of the book have a white uh, spine mm-hmm. and the, the last section has black. Well, the first part is all about a replay. Where you read a transcript right. of an actual session that happened and then the last third of the book shows you the actual rules to be like, okay, you want, you, you read through this and it actually has little notes and diagrams to see what happens so you can understand everything as it happens. And you're like, you want, you, you, you got through this, you understand what a, what an RPG is like because you probably haven't experienced one before what a uh, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have picked this up at a random bookstore. Uh, you under- so you understand what an RPG is like. You understand what role-playing is like. You understand what a good scenario, not like one of those ones where you drop in in a convention and the GM's a dick or the players aren't <laughs> into it or whatever. Uh, everyone's into it, so you kind of understand you got to see a blueprint of what a real good game is like. Uh, and then once you're done with that and you're like, oh, that was a cool story, you get to learn the rules to make the cool stories yourself. Um, this was a particularly bold design move that 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 this company did and they have several games in this line about 8 or 9 right now mhm uh the first one had a mm, little success it was it was cute it was kind of like a horror pokemon uh but shinobi gami came out and it blew minds because of the way it did everything from the combat to the social stuff and just the subject matter everyone likes ninjas even in japan
0: oh yeah there's so much i want to dig into there but uh, you keep mentioning that it's a line of books and because i enjoyed shinobi gami so much i have to know what else is in that line
2: well, the first one is um, it's a book called Peekaboo. Like like Andy said, it's um, you you play little kids that have like a ghost or a monster or something that's sort of attached to you mm-hmm. and and you know you you go around and you have adventures and it's it's very 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 similar uh this you know system wise except that it it's a bit more clunky I think. They hadn't quite grasped it. Like they did with Shinobigami, in, in order to run away, you had to, to roll on a specific skill. Um, you know, it wasn't quite as freeform right. as, as Shinobigami is. Um, yeah. and actually the, the first edition of Shinobigami also had that here and there, but, um, but by the second edition of Shinobigami, it's, it's totally cleaned up and, and it's much more open. And Shinobigami is, is, is quite a step up above Peekaboo.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and then uh, beyond that, let's
1: see what what came out. Hunter's the Moon, movie? actually. Yeah, Sorry, the now there's Hunter's Moon, which is basically a... Uh, so in Shinobigami, it's kind of a frenemies game mm-hmm. where you can have everyone be against each other or everyone be against a villain but even then you're still kind of working against each other a little bit because there's once the villain falls over they're going to drop a sword and everyone has to grab that sword right <laughs> uh, but uh then after that they they came up with one or two games uh hunter's moon and blood crusade which is a one and monsters and then a vampire fighting game where everyone is on the same team and a gm plays a vampire or a monster and the the, the idea there is to hunt a monster down yeah. And um, that one is actually
2: quite a bit more board game y, I think. Yes. Um, the writer sure. for that one is it was a is a different writer than than for Shinobigami and Peekaboo. Um it's uh, that one's a bit more crunchy. That one is like maybe maybe Shinobigami is like maybe sixty percent story game, forty percent, you know, um, you know, dice rolling crunch fest. Mm-hmm. Where um this other game is is more like a like eighty percent, you know, crunchy dice rolling and then twenty percent uh, role-playing like even huh. even in, like the replay itself is like you know they're talking about numbers and rolling dice and stuff um it, it's it's a bit different in feel it's, it's still a, a, a cool game but um it, it's the focus that i think is a bit
1: different yeah right. but it's still in the one small book format mm-hmm. uh basically read this the day before the day of you you invite some friends over and then in the space of four hours you don't have to like say okay hey let's role play so we have to like Get all our schedules together and like plan on one day every, you know, week for the next eight years, whatever. <laughs> uh, no, uh, this is like you bust it out, you play for four hours, then you're done. The story is over. Uh, then from there you can come back later on and then bring the same characters back if you want, but the story is done. And, and just that very compact experience, basically taking, taking the, the uh, role playing experience, and then turning into something that is similar to a board game, like a one shot, where you don't have to keep playing it over and over again to uh, uh, to get a full experience, or or movie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a particularly long Russian movie or something. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I, I like to compare these to like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where like you know you'll have Iron Man one, where you know mm-hmm. y- y- you go through ah, you know, a the, you know yeah. the you know the a, a, a two hour story of of Iron Man, mm-hmm. you know the story's over. But when Iron Man 2 comes out, it's, it's, you know, more or less the same characters. Maybe, maybe they've moved around their skills a little bit. And maybe they have a different nimble, but it's still the same character. Um, and now new secrets are going to be coming out, you know, and new action is going to happen. There's new arc. And then, you know, the players go through, um, the, the game. And then, you know, they, they finish up the second movie and then, uh, that gets wrapped up. And then maybe the third movie, uh, wraps up. Uh, you know the, the the full arc that that you've sort of been charting through the first two, scene. You know the, the first two games or whatever.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I would imagine that if you play with friends, you probably have a much more satisfying ending than Iron Man three. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's a lot that
0: I want to dig into about storytelling tradition. But before we touch on that, uh, let's talk about replays, because that is a very Japanese thing that we're now starting to see crop up in a lot of Western games. And it's yeah. really cool.
1: How big are replays over there? And when did they start? I'll take on the history part. The um, They're big. uh, And it, so it's interesting in that, if you mention a replay to someone, everyone's like, Oh, I've seen replays. Yeah, it's it's basically the little combat example or the role play example that happens for two pages at the beginning of any RPG book, mm-hmm. where it shows the you know GM colon, <clears throat> blah 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 blah, Annie Colon, I will kick down the door, Raj Colon, I will stop you from kicking down the door. Roll the dice. Yeah, that's nice. And it's two pages long, but it's not the entire experience of what happens at the table. The replay is the f- everything. It is from, hi, here are the players' names, and here's a little bit of background of them. Here's us making characters. Now, here's us starting to play. And they go from every scene, like every single line is recorded, even the side jokes that are lame. Uh, I'm sure that not every dick joke gets in or, you know, totally mm-hmm. humor gets in. Maybe so. They edit it out. But it's not faked. It's not. There is a realness to it. Mm-hmm. Can't fake. Uh, so they don't. It's not one person just going. I'm going to invent the session. They, they actually play the session. Someone sits there with a the recorder and they go down and do the very tedious uh, exercise of of writing all the, the dialogue out. But um, but it is from front to the end, the whole four hours in screenplay format. Uh, and then wow. a better, a, like, good one. A, a good one will have asterisks and side notes and stuff like that, saying if someone if someone says something, then there'll be a note that says here's what they're talking about. Like if they make a joke about history and, so, and maybe they, the person reader doesn't know the history, they'll have the history down there. Uh, in fact, in the Shinobi Gami replay, uh, someone cracks a white wolf joke <laughs> and then they have to like put, take a little subtext and explain the white wolf joke. But other times, they're, so I'm going to make an attack roll. Asterisk. Asterisk at the bottom. Uh, an attack roll is when you roll this and this and this together. Uh, this person's rolling this and they're using this, so therefore it should look like this. Um, so yeah, that is what a replay looks like. And they've been popular since the very early days of the RPG experience. Uh, mostly because, you know, in the US with Dungeons and Dragons, usually someone has learned from someone else who learned from someone else. Right. Who learned from someone else. Uh, you pick up the book and you can open it and you can get it. You can understand it. I did not learn from someone else. So that's why I took me and my dad, we, we looked, we thought Star Frontiers was a board game and we're like, what the hell do we do? Or, <laughs> weeks, like, I didn't understand, like, it didn't really do a great job of explaining what the hell you actually do or what a GM is or stuff like that. If there was a replay, I would have gotten it right away. But there was that hurdle in Japan, uh, that no one, like, everyone could Everyone could read the rules and kind of understand what's going on here, but no one really understood what a, what a good session looked like. What, what, what is role-playing? Uh, so some people just took the, on the, the role to create these scenes called replays. They became extremely popular because, if nothing else, uh, sometimes the author, sometimes the illustrator, sometimes people involved deeply in the game. In other words, uh, figureheads in the industry would be playing in these games. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous uh, replay series right now that's live called uh, Red Dragon, that mm-hmm. is basically for anime and, and writer, like anime writers, like, like Oboru Gen from from um, Madoka Magica. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That guy is, <laughs> is playing a character in this, in this replay that's going on uh, for, for a D for, for a fantasy game. So yeah, you have those, types of people in these and and so they sell and indeed uh, the first time i saw one of these i I, actually first time i went to a japanese game store i saw just like a shelves of these things i'm looking around like what the hell is this i told my friend i'm like why would you pay money to read someone else's game transcript why would you do that and he turned (laughs) to me and and says i've been to an american game store or he actually turned over to to the american games that they have on the walls why do you guys have so much freaking scenarios and normally like normally, that, that's shit the GM does himself. Why do you have so many empty scenarios where you just see a bunch of maps and stuff? In his defense, I wonder that not, all the time too. Maybe you're not really built for your you know, you have like four interesting characters. What are you going to sh- grab them all together and shove them through a dungeon that has nothing to do with what they? I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite grasp it until I started really being able to read Japanese and then started reading them and going, oh, well, this, this stuff's pretty good. But beyond that, um, I'll let Matt talk about like his experience with with replay because he he's read through a bunch as well.
2: I I think that if you've seen Record of Lodos War, uh, you know you've kind of seen the replay. You know that was literally you know uh, a group's uh, foray into Dungeons and Dragons that kind of led into the the production of of the Sword World RPG. But um, you know the fact that uh, we have a lot of people asking us to translate Sword World because. They have memories of, of record of Lodos War or whatever, you know, that, that's, that's sort of, you know, a testament to the power of replays.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: yeah. And, 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 in Japan, anytime a new RPG comes out, there will be at least one replay that comes out with it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, they usually sell, I, from what I understand, like one to one. Um, people will, will buy a replay to make sure that, that they like the game or whatever, or, you know, to, to see how, to, how to run the game or how to play the game or get, get some exactly. ideas. Yeah
1: it's almost like a fast crunch into like understanding what the game is about yeah. a, 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 an actual play experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: No, I mean, it, it It sounds exactly like actual play, except people pay for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. And, and admittedly, and, and yeah, Japan, the price is about paperback.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And in Japan, there, a lot of people are shy or for whatever reason, they don't like to put their, their voice online or, you know, they don't like to be you know, uh, photographed or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is a way for them to get their game out there um you know without without the embarrassment of of being on youtube or or being on a podcast or whatever you know like it, like in, in japan you know you, you can't just look, go on youtube and look up uh, somebody playing you know some fear game or whatever you you really just have to go out and buy a, a replay
1: huh now actually it's a little bit different you can actually you won't see people playing yeah, right. the game it's a very interesting recent phenomenon uh, that's kind of cool. Is Again, this is sort of the replay experience. Um, and it's, it's speaking to what Matt's talking about is um, the Vocaloid effect. Oh, yeah. Uh, where people with a lot of free time, because mm-hmm. this, this is almost a, creating a replay is almost a hobby in itself. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, Transcribing a game sounds cool. insane to me. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: uh, But there are people who go beyond that. Who take take the they have the transcript in their hands and now what do they do with it? They want to get it out to people on YouTube and Nico Nico Doga, which mm-hmm. is Japanese YouTube. And so they take a dating sim software, like a dating simulator software, okay, uh, that has multiple backgrounds and characters and stuff like that. And they use that as a as sort of a roll twenty like desktop to basically have character uh, character and stuff like that and dialogue at the bottom so they have all the dialogue pops up as at the bottom like as if it was like dialogue in a dating sim and and a lot of times it's all read live by vocaloids so they'll oh have five my characters, God. five slightly different Vocaloids, and all reading in this stuff, and it's usually kind of hilarious and weird, and it, it, it it's it's kind of it takes a little bit used to, but it, once you get into it, it, it is pretty fun. I mean, the, yeah. the
0: appeal of that is easy for me to understand. That's so cool that you're yeah, it, jumping it, it through basically those.
2: Basically, becomes a, a visual novel, which is you yes. know sort of its own uh, genre over there in Japan.
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a really great. Yeah, the visual it is very similar to a visual novel. And in fact, there's a there's even a um there's even a group of people basically called uh, voice actors doing TRPGs where it is literally like voice actors in a voice acting industry. And they pick a, they pick an RPG and then they, they play a session of it and break it up into say seven or eight parts and mm-hmm. put those parts on YouTube and the like for a little bit of self-promotion, a little bit of, uh, of acting chops and, and, and practice. Uh, but those are pretty cool too. Uh, that is, uh, uh, And again, it's not their faces, it's just like little anime figures, but it is their A-game voice actor voices doing the characters.
0: Right, right. Like We're, we're getting a little bit of that now with uh, Matt Mercer uh, and his show uh, on Geek and Sundry. But yeah, it, it sounds like the experience of trying to export what an RPG is and, and how people enjoy it is something that uh, Japan has been chasing almost
1: from the very beginning, which is really cool. Yeah, uh, once you sort of see how one thing influences another, um, you know, Japan didn't have a way to really get the word out about these games outside of Tokyo. So replays were created and replays created their own thing. And in fact, most of the game designers who are about my age, uh, late 30s, uh, 40s, mm-hmm. almost all of them oddly, again, this is really weird to me, but almost all of them got into RPGs by complete happenstance because they went into a bookstore. They pulled a book off the shelf because they liked, I don't know, they, they kind of liked fantasy. They pulled a fantasy book off the shelf. Right. They took it home. It was a replay. They said, what the hell is this? Uh, they read the replay. They said, this is actually kind of cool. And then they went and then found out more about the game. Wow. Like actual game designers that are releasing the new games for this generation got into the industry because they came across a replay. That uh, is and so it's not cool. just one or two. It, we're talking like many, and people that are, like, like the guy who basically is doing the second edition of Sword World, the ultimate, you know, original Japanese RPG, mm-hmm. uh, got it. The game and, and all the other writers for it because because they, they came across a replay
0: that's I mean that's really fascinating and really cool I am glad to see that uh, the. US is sort of catching up in that uh, with the advent of podcasting and actual plays like ours YouTube and twitch streaming we're finally uh, sort of exporting and sharing the experience of what it means to play an RPG which is really cool I want to turn our attention to storytelling tradition a little bit uh, as we're starting to wrap up here here i i find that most role-playing games are the most japanese stories that american stories get in a lot of anime and japanese media the point of telling a story is not you have a beginning middle and end it's a big exploration of the middle and it's really experiential and that reminds me a lot of what we do when we sit down around a table for you know 10 or 15 years playing the same character going on a bunch of ridiculous adventures. A lot of groups don't have a pointed goal that they're going at, or if they do, they're not expected to reach that goal for many, many years or many, many play sessions. It's so Japanese. And what I found fascinating about Shinobigami is... It is so Western in its approach to storytelling because you have like, oh, yeah, we're going to tell a complete story and these characters are going to go through a full arc before we're done.
2: Yeah, that, that kind of comes out, I think, from the, uh, the current way that, that games are played in Japan. Uh, a, a lot of people don't have the ability to play a full long campaign like that. Mm-hmm. Right now, like college circles or like larger groups that might come together, the way that they usually work is that they'll have something called a convention, which is sort of like a, like a monthly meeting, and you might get like between twenty and and forty or fifty people together, and nobody knows what they're going to be playing that day. Uh, a bunch of GMs will go up to the front of whatever you know meeting place that they're in, whatever mm-hmm. hall they're in, and write down the name of the game. Uh, maybe like a brief phrase or sentence that sort of describes the scenario that they want to run and the number of players. And then you might get like maybe 10 GMs that want to run something. Uh, and then once everybody is settled down and sitting down, then um, they'll have somebody, the, the guy who's running the, the show, they'll, they'll go down the list and they'll say, okay, who wants to play this game? And then maybe six people will raise their hand. Like, okay, well, you guys go sit over there. You guys will play this game. But then the next one, it doesn't really sound very interesting. So maybe only one or two people or play it, you know, so mm-hmm. then they'll say, Okay, well let's hold on for, for a second. Let's see what what else gets filled up. So basically, you know, they might fill up maybe six out of the ten games, um, and you know, you just kind of get shuffled into whatever people are, are running for that day. Um so you go and play this game that you had no idea that you're gonna be playing, you know, fifteen minutes before mm-hmm. and you, you have about four hours to play it. Uh, wow. Because, you know, you're not playing in, in anybody's house, you're, you know, you're playing in a, you know, in, in a community center or, you know, some meeting hall or something that 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 you, you know, you you get together and rent once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have four hours to create a character, and then um, go through a story. So, wow. you know, it, if, if you're sitting there for two hours arguing about, you know, whether or not the wench in the bar is winking at you or whatever, you know, <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You know, it, there's a really strong, um, sense of, you know, th- this, the structure, um, that is really heavily enforced in, in, in Japanese role playing games.
0: It's such a fascinating inverse of what yeah. I've come to expect out of storyteller yeah. traditions from there.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's also, uh, as Matt says, it's based on necessity as well. Uh, as you mentioned, the halls and stuff that are played in, I'm, I'm an adult in Japan, living mm-hmm. in Tokyo, and, uh, and I'm actually currently following the Japanese, uh, tradition of, of role-playing, which is basically, uh, once every two weeks or so, or, or once a week, uh, meeting up with friends, but never at someone's house, hmm. uh, because houses are kind of a little bit off limits, um, in a way, uh, just because it's, it's just kind of an inconvenience, uh, you, so everyone is usually kind of far apart from each other uh so you kind of meet it in a centralized location well centralized locations will will, will cost money do you go to a cafe we are gonna be dropping money for coffee and stuff like that so right. it's gonna cost you like maybe 10 bucks fit 20 bucks uh do you go to a karaoke booth and instead of singing you sit there in a nice quiet area and and role play ah that's great uh, I have done that, and it is awesome. And that's actually a very common thing to do for role place uh, It's a common thing to do for anyone who needs to, to, a place to, to not bother their family. Uh, people practicing trumpet or trombone will often go into a karaoke box and just close the door and just bust out their trumpet. Huh. And, and role players will go to car- uh, cap- uh, karaoke boxes because they're cheap, relatively cheap, and you get all you can drink. Just the necessity of location and time. Uh, steers people towards four-hour experiences. Maybe they can meet up and play a, a campaign. That's cool. Uh, but if they can't, and it only lasts like three or four sessions, and it wraps up, that's it. Has to it has to sort of fall in that range. If, wow. if you're kind of an adult.
0: Okay. So as we start to wrap up, I want to go through the games that you guys have translated and translated together, just to give my audience an idea of what's out there. And what, what's <laughs> available to them that is from a unique design tradition and a really unique cultural perspective?
2: So yeah, so, and, and Andy did, uh, Tenra Bancho Zero pretty much by himself. It's an amazing book. It's, uh, it's two humongous tomes. One is all about the story and the other one is, is all the rules. Uh, there's, you know, tons of stuff in that game. It's really awesome. Um, our second game that is just arriving to our backers now is called Ryutama, the natural fantasy RPG. in in a sentence, it's, uh, it's Miyazaki's Oregon Trail. Uh, Ah. if, if you can look at the art, um, you would instantly understand it. It's just like this really gorgeous, uh, low key, like, uh, like low fantasy art that's, you know, like real soft and, and real gorgeous. And there's, you know, some, some really nice art throughout the book. Um, and the focus is on journeying like you and, and, and your friends, you know, you get together in, you like um you're just like normal everyday villagers like maybe like a blacksmith and like a healer
1: or yeah. like a merchant or something you'd be the npcs in final fantasy like the oh, heroes okay. come and get drinks and and gear from you and and move on so is yeah, this like exactly. a slice of life role playing game almost is that you're you're not really there's slice of life moments but it is actually pretty heavily uh osr ish really okay um the art is definitely sets a mood of of naturalism and fantasy and, mm-hmm. and softness. Uh, the game rules themselves. Uh, if you look at it, if someone from a story game's perspective looked at it, in fact, I've had this done to me, and the people go look at me like what? Like like I don't understand. You 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 heard me, Daddy. I don't understand what this game is. It's like oh, well, I see Rutama. What do I? How do I? Where do I collect happy points and then trade them for for favor dice and mm. and then spend them on on journey into sunset coins? Uh, <laughs> you know what? And I'm like, uh, no. The first time I played with the author, uh, we had five people. We went to an uh, hot springs. We got attacked by something, and we had almost a TPK by two giant poison bees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if we died, we would have died. That How does sound that like OSR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there's heartwarming moments and stuff like that, but but it's a game that was designed to train GMS how to be GMS. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. uh, so there there is heartwarming moments, but it's not. Um, the, the rules are not geared to force you into that frame. In fact, you can have some pretty dark games out of it.
2: Yeah, there's 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 one like the the GM himself actually gets to make a character, and sort of depending on on the type of character that the GM makes, that sort of sets the tone and um one of the options is is for uh for something called the the, the black region, where black it's region. all about darkness and and death and it's it's suggested that um that any games run by a black region wouldn't um you know like n p c death and you know horror or NPCs. sadness and, and insanity and, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a uh, it's, it's like actually-
0: a Cthulhu-esque thing. Kind of, yeah.
2: yeah. Not not necessarily Cthulhu, but yeah, absolutely darkness. And there's actually a power that that the GM gets where he can immediately just kill an NPC, just make him drop dead for no reason.
0: (laughs) That's That's pretty awesome. I I, I have to know, is play goal-driven because when i think of something like D D, that's generally a goal and mission driven fantasy where people are going out to explore a dungeon and get a treasure in this you said yeah. you're playing villagers and people are you still going out and questing
2: yeah actually that's that's sort of the, the main conceit of the game is that in in this world every single person Um, it's just the custom, no matter where you go in this world, everybody goes on a journey once in their life, at least once. Okay. So you get this wonder lust. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, your, your character might, might say, Oh, I think, you know, my journey will be to the magical world of, of pixie dust or something. And, you know, I'm not sure if it, if it really exists, but I'm going to go find out. Right. And so then, you know, at, and, and every session, Um, you know, the, the players in the GM might get together and create the next town that they're going to go to. You know, there's a little worksheet that you can work through it in. And, um, you know, so that session, it's that, you know, the leg of that journey. So when you get there, you know, you can do some shopping or maybe there's a festival or maybe there's some interesting NPCs that you might spend a session with or whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the goal is usually the next, the next town over
0: so okay okay so now it's forming in my head this is a little bit like a journey story similar to samurai champloo where they are moving somewhere but uh, the the point is the different stops that you hit on the way and exploring the, those fantasies
1: yeah and that, yeah the, there, the, there's uh, some sort of themes that carry over but yes indeed samurai champloo in particular was very episodic mm-hmm. uh, and so it's just kind of like they would arrive someplace there would be a problem and they would solve it, or figure it out, or run away at some points, or right. get rid of the high. Um, so, indeed, it, it, there's similar pieces to that. Some characters will have backstory, and they'll they'll have that sort of classic backstory where uh, in one of the players in my game, uh, there, his... Goal, I guess uh, you could say, uh, was to get home. He was actually traveling from far away to get to get here. Stayed here for a year, and now he wants to go back to his family. Uh, other people, most the kind of general conceit is, I just want to see the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I woke up with a bug with a wanderlust, um, and uh, uh yeah, and so so. It, there's nothing rules-driven about that. There's not like a, a token or a point or something like that in in uh, goal. But, uh, but the, the fact that the journey is everything and the players in, in GM together create the journey points together Um, and having some of the rules and stuff focused on that in terms of like having some of the merchant stuff, how they can, how they can buy and sell stuff relies on having to go to the next place to, to buy or sell it. Right.
0: Oh, that's Uh, unbelievably Japanese. That's the most Japanese story (laughs) I've heard. (laughs) That's, that's great. Uh, Are there any others or is Shinobi Gami the next and latest one?
1: Uh, for us? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Matt.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, you know, um, you know, after, after all this work that we've done on Ryutama and then, you know, that we're continuing to do on Ryutama and for, um, for Shinobigami, and there's still a little bit left to do for TBZ, you know, we, we sort of have our hands full, mm-hmm. um, so I think, we're, I think we're thinking that we might take a year off, but then we're also constantly like, oh man, look at this game that just came
1: out. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: and, and you know, Why don't you
1: do this? No, we shouldn't. We're gonna die. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you know, I think my my wife is almost at at her limits. But you know, we we you know we can't help ourselves. It's just you know, there's yeah. so much cool stuff coming out in Japan that you know I we're, we're saying we're gonna take a year off and and just work on on the expansions and stuff yeah. that we promised. But yeah, and just I guess, more
1: general support for the games that we've done. Yeah, uh, exactly. more because yeah. just taking a year off will give us a, a new you know, just basically be able to, 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 to take the games we've done and, and take them in new ways.
0: Of course, of course. I, I yeah. mean, that's, I guess my, my only other question is uh... Oh,
1: actually, if, if, it's, uh, if it's not true, I'd like to just also give a shout out to other Japanese games that are out there. Oh, yes, uh, please. We're not the only ones that are doing this. Uh, I, I'm the first, but, uh, but over time, sort of like the, you know, Dragon Quest, I, I found other people along my quest. Well, I found Matt, <laughs> and so we're pretty much a thing now. Uh, we're buds, and so we're going to pretty much keep doing this for a long time i also worked for a time with uh, aaron clooney who's brilliant and uh, he did made the rpg which was actually the first while Tenro was going to be the first i'm like you know what i need i need to understand how publishing works so i helped uh, make basically make made happen first so there is the made the role-playing game Mm -hmm. which is a very japanese rpg uh that's still out in print uh and and aaron clooney uh with his um uh, Starline so Publishing is, is pushing that one. Golden Sky Stories, which is the next game that he's done, that one is your, there's no more Japanese game than this. Uh, <laughs> it is a game about, about uh, animal spirits, that are, they can form, they can look like people and they, there is absolutely no combat and you help people, you help everyday people with everyday problems in an, in an everyday town in the boonies in Japan. Uh, it is brilliant and, and that is very story focused. There is points for getting, for helping people and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, Kat and I yeah.
1: picked that one up immediately. It's, yes. uh, real cool. It is, yeah, it is, it is brilliant. Uh, I, I love the hell of that game and I'm so glad that, that Aaron did that. Uh one more out there is called Double Cross. Uh Double Cross is one of my favorites. Imagine Exalted uh with less rules and it is uh instead of instead of like high fantasy it is uh X-Men High School. Yeah. Um, mm. That's exactly how I would describe it. Yeah. yeah. It's basically conspiracies at X-Men High School in in Japan in sort of a near future thing with with uh, conspiracies and and evil evil organizations where you have to defeat horrible things, but to defeat those horrible things, you have to become horrible people yourself. Yes. Oh, that's great. It's uh, really pretty cool. Uh, check that out, double cross. And then there's Shinobi Gami, which is, uh, which we're doing. And we're actually not only doing, sh- uh, so Shinobi Gami had a bunch of books in its series. So we're not just doing the first book. We're actually doing the first two books in the series. Oh, the, okay. Uh, the first and second books. Um, they, they actually form a set, a core set now in the second edition. Even though the first book has everything you need to know how to play, in fact, uh, when Matt ran Shinobi Gami for guys, it was basically the uh, um, the everything was from the first book. Uh, the second book has rules for things like uh, s- you know, subclans and uh, and normal people. Uh, even though normal people is, is should be in, in uh, scare quotes because there is no <laughs> such thing as normal person in Shinobi Gami. Um, but uh, but we're doing those two back to back. Oh, that,
0: that's really cool. Uh, so I know where all my Kickstarter money is going to be going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you saw the size of the book. This is actually going to be a, unlike other previous ones where we had all sorts of high levels of art and, and, excuse me, uh, of where you can, we, we were giving a lot more. Right. Um, you know, uh, we took a lot more work on, this. part of it was a little bit of uh, a Kickstarter creation innocence back in those days right where i thought oh i'll just keep doing more supplements and stuff for it now we're actually (laughs) going to keep focused on the core book uh we want to get the word out but there's not going to be so those really crazy high margins and stuff like that so we're not going to see a lot of money for this one but we will we what we do want to see is is interest we want to see we're going to keep this this product at a low price like it is in japan and we just want to Get people get the word out so people uh, uh, take interest in it and and uh, uh, I want to see the I don't want to see dollars I want to see people is yeah right yeah I want
2: right. to see, yeah. see numbers of people yeah I was going to say that you know the, uh, this time our stretch rolls are won't be um, anything extravagant but we're going to be trying to get a lot of people to write scenarios for us you know we we want to make this a game that people can pick up and just like li- literally pick up and play you know cut up. Um, the handouts that you know that that uh, that that uh, a talented writer has has created for you, so that um, you know you can just sit down with your friends and hand out the the secrets and missions, and then you know create an interesting story immediately. And uh, you know, we I my dream is to have you know like a, a you know a thick book of of scenarios so that you, know, you never have to play the same scenario twice because you know that wouldn't really work with you know bigami right. Um, yeah, and so um, yeah, I want to have you know a wide variety of of types of scenarios, maybe, you know, settings, and um, flavors and whatnot. Um, yeah. so that's, that's what we're going
0: for. Uh, th- that's, that's so cool. Uh, I am very excited about that. And I, I can tell you guys, uh, Shinobi Gami, again, it was an amazing experience and it was completely different from what I was anticipating and I cannot wait to play it again. Uh, I really want to make it a thing that I can learn how to play at conventions and things because it provided such a cool experience and the rules are built to produce amazing stories. And I I really think uh, a lot of people are going to pick up on that. So I'm excited for you. My my one question is: Is anybody in your circle of translators thinking of working on Sword World or in talks uh, of doing that?
1: Actually, yeah. The um, there's a problem. I, I've got some friends that are working on other things, but mm-hmm. Sword World is going to get a lot complicated. It, it there's a there's a complicated story behind that. I'm actually really good friends with the the author, okay, uh, in Japan, and we we hang out when I go to Kobe and stuff like that. However, it's just uh, the rights to the game are from like the eighties and they are owned by a very traditional publishing company from the eighties. And they are basically like, yeah, we'll, you know, we, we would love to see a translation. You would have to complete a million steps. And, uh, and we're talking about like Gundam level money here, right guys? Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) so, so, uh, yeah, it's the, the the perspective is just completely off. And I was actually kind of told like, You can try you know, like like I was told by the author like, yeah, you can try for Sword World if you want, but honestly, you'd probably have more luck running your head into a wall. Uh, (laughs) I would rather I would rather hear stories of just people like, you know using private translations to play it and having good experience with it than than to than to have someone go through all the work to, to do it. Now if someone does that, that'd be brilliant. I'd love to see that happen.
0: Yeah, I mean well that sounds like Wizards of the Coast needs to do that. It sounds like we actually need one of our publishing companies to talk to another publishing company.
1: Someone with a big, big ass name. Indeed. That would, that would probably be enough to shake the rights loose from their, from their foundation. Hmm. Uh, But not, not us, even though we've published a bunch and we, you know, people think of us as a, as a company. Yeah. It wouldn't, I don't think it would be us there. There's, there's other productive, uh, there's other, and the thing is there's so many brilliant games. Me and Matt love so many of the games that are coming out and we're just like, you know what? Sword world, is brilliant it is it, it, the or sword world 2 excuse me sword <laughs> world 2 does some really cool things it's very anime it's very simple to get into it's very light uh uses 2d6 there's there's a lot to love about it and i'm like oh and i love it and i hug it and i squeeze it too and then i look <laughs> at my shelf and my shelf is it filled is with full of other beautiful <laughs> games that are just exactly like that or or higher on the level and i'm like ah okay so mm-hmm. it's it's a, I was like i love it but yes, I can actually love and rank my children. and, yeah. uh, and there are other children I love slightly more. Wow! Yeah, like
2: I think for me, like Soul Rule, it, it's it's a cool fantasy world, but like you know, it, it's a fantasy world. Like you know, here in America, I I can play a fantasy game. It's a like,
1: diamond, I, does I, it? It's on Thirteenth Age. You know, I can yeah. start yeah. listing off. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So like you know, if if, if we were going to look at doing something else, it would be you know more like Tokyo Nova or you know just something that that's more unique that, that, you know, yeah. that people aren't playing. So, of course.
1: For. So something that you couldn't just point to and say like, why, why wouldn't I just play this instead?
0: Right. Yeah. Guys, what, you are doing is fascinating and you're bringing over some truly fantastic games. I wish you guys all the success in the world. I am so excited about the Shinobi Gami Kickstarter. Thank you. And I, Thanks, James. I just want to see uh, more stuff uh, come out of your line. <laughs> and I, I respect that it takes an unbelievable amount of work and I hope that my listeners understand that too and they come out in spades to support you guys because yeah. you deserve it. This is a great project project and I cannot wait to see more. Yeah, um, we
1: just love to we don't you know like money's nice but we we just like to see that people are playing and enjoying the games. Even if they're like, well, I'm going to hold off on the Kickstarter and see what the game is like when it comes out, totally cool by us. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I think you just, are right. Yeah. Money is nice. Uh <laughs> and you guys should get some money.
0: Uh but I yeah, I definitely want to see these games circulated and I think this Kickstarter is going to be a success if I have anything to say about it. Where can people find you if they want to look up your projects and, uh, learn more about your games?
2: Let's see, shinobigami.com, we have. And then also kotohi.com. That's Mm K-O-T-O-H-I.com. Um, that's, uh, we are Kotodama Heavy Industries.
1: Uh, and, uh, yeah, you find us on G+, we both post uh, there under our live names and, uh, uh, Twitter as well. We have the Koto uh, Kotodama underscore hi. Uh, but just yeah, kotohi.com or shinobigami.com Um, will, will point you in the right direction.
2: Yeah, um, you can, you can get our PDFs off of, uh, Drive-Thru RPG, or you can get the physical books from, from our
0: website. All right. Uh, well, Andy, Matthews, so thank you guys so much for coming on Critical Success. I'm really excited about these projects, uh, and I cannot wait to see them happen.
1: Thanks, man. Um, thanks, yeah, man thanks for, for having address.
0: us. Well, heroes, that's it for Critical Success this week. A big thanks to Matt and Andy for joining me. If you liked what they had to say, please check out their Kickstarter for Shinobi Gami, which is going on now. It's well overfunded, and I am happy to say, we have earned the Magical Girl reskin for the game. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. As always, a big thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. If you want to hear more from the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod. Check out our Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com. Check out our Google Plus community, or look for news on the site at oneshotpodcast.com. If you're looking to inquire about advertising rates, live appearances, and commissioning episodes, or you have a question or comment about something you heard on the show, contact us at gamemaster at oneshotpodcast.com. One Shot is a joint production between Peaches and Hot Sauce and Paracosm Press. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great podcasts, videos, and live shows for you to check out at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records.
1: See you next time, heroes.